Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Jeff Does Vegas. Las Vegas, or more specifically, Lake Mead, located just outside Las Vegas, has found itself in the spotlight as of late. And as such, it's garnered the interest of two very distinct groups of people, mob historians and climate scientists. Lake Mead not only serves as a huge water playground for Vegas visitors and residents alike, but it's also one of the U.S.'s largest reservoirs, providing water to roughly 20 million people in Nevada, Arizona, California, and even some areas of Mexico. However, due to drought and increased water demand, the lake has seen its levels dropping drastically over the last several years, and with that decreased water level has come some bizarre and horrifying discoveries. Returning to the podcast and joining me to talk about these discoveries is Anthony Smith, one half of the team behind the website Mayhem in the Desert, a Las Vegas true crime blog that takes a deep dive into some of the stories that helped to shape Vegas's history. First of all, uh, thank you for taking time to come back on the podcast again. Uh, we had a really good time chatting last time and got lots of uh, great feedback about our conversation and the content on your website. So it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on uh, on the podcast, sir. Well, thank you for having me back. It was a great time uh, last time chatting with you about Vegas uh, true crimes. I would imagine right now, being a true crime blogger, as you and and uh, and Megan are, is a particularly interesting and exciting time, considering some of the recent developments <laughs> that have come up uh, surrounding Lake Mead and some very mysterious discoveries. Oh, yeah. It, uh, let's see, the last uh, month and a half have been uh, very interesting in looking at some of the mob background. So let's get a little bit of background into this whole situation here. It kind of leads back to um, an environmental situation in that the lake, uh, Lake Mead, that is, is basically drying up, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's uh, at a crazy rate, too. Uh, Saw something about around a foot a week, uh, at least as of this month. And of course, anybody that's ever been around any kind of body of water that has been drained or started to decrease in level has learned sometimes you find some very interesting things at the bottom of that lake sometimes it's treasure sometimes it's shopping carts and sometimes it's something completely different (laughs) (laughs) yeah this i don't know that anyone was expecting to find and there's at least a few folks out there that were hoping no one would ever find it right about the uh, beginning of may uh there were some folks out at the lake and they saw something strange sticking out of the uh, mud. So they went a little closer and were pretty horrified to find that it was a rotting barrel. And inside were the skeletal remains of uh, unfortunate individual. And so based on the area and knowing the somewhat, how shall we put it, um, questionable history 
of Las Vegas. I think, I mean, I don't know Were people, do you think people were jumping to conclusions in their suspicion on what this was, or is it a fair assumption that this is probably exactly what everybody thinks it is? Well, I think so. Uh, obviously the police investigation is still ongoing. So law enforcement won't commit, uh, as to what this murder was, but what they have said so far is it was a male. Uh, they think that the murder occurred sometime in the late seventies or early eighties. Uh, apparently the individual was wearing some clothing that was sold at Kmart, uh, right around the mid seventies. So I guess that's how they peg the time frame. Uh, and the cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. So all those things together with the uh, addition of disposing of the body in a barrel certainly seems like it might've been uh, related to organized crime. So it's not just possible then that he may have just fallen on a bullet and then fell into a barrel, which fell off the back of a truck into the lake. I mean, I'm just throwing out theories here, Anthony. <laughs> well, I mean, look, things happen. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, if the folks out there that uh, were behind this ever get caught, that might be the defense theory. You know, we can't really tell what happened. Now, at that time, if if it was, in fact, the, the mid to late 70s or even into the early 80s, at that time, organized crime was really quite still active in in Las Vegas and and in the city of Las Vegas, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the 70s were sort of a Wild West period uh, with the type of organized crime most people think of uh, mafia related. But you had plenty of other um, organized crime elements in the city. You had uh, Benny Binion uh, with some pretty famous crimes linked to him uh, during that time. And everyone remembers the famous opening scene of Casino, uh, where the character that's supposed to be Frank Lefty Rosenthal gets into his car and then it explodes. That was the early 1980s. So we're looking right at the time period where this was going on. And drawing off of my limited knowledge from that era in Vegas history, knowing what I know from listening to podcasts and visiting the Mob Museum and reading articles on your guys' blog, the list of names that this person could possibly be is is endless, isn't it? Oh, it is. And you know, everyone, I think, hones in on the bigger name players in organized crime operating in the city. But in our research, there were just a ton of these low level folks for different crime families that would come through the city, operate for a bit. And maybe they moved on to another endeavor. Maybe they didn't. And so I think, you know, it's possible that some of those individuals could very well be the guy found at the uh, in the barrel at Lake Mead. And again, knowing what we know about Las Vegas history and how sketchy it is. Um, it's highly unlikely that this is going to be the only barrel that they find at the bottom of Lake Mead, isn't it? Oh, I, I think absolutely. Uh, as that water level goes down, uh, they're going to find more things. Uh, so far, they've uh, you know found sunken boats. Uh, they've even found another body a week after the barrel was discovered. Uh, but there's going to be more finds like that. And my understanding as well is that this method for uh, quote unquote, taking out the trash use of a barrel is not uh, an uncommon method um, used by organized crime and used by the mob. And in fact, you guys went relatively in depth on this in an article on your blog. Well, we did. Uh, we wanted to look a little into that history of uh, the mafia's disposal method uh, in their crimes. 
and all the way back to the early 1900s. In fact, another uh, series of crimes that captured national attention were these barrel murders that were occurring in New York City and Pennsylvania and other places on the East Coast. Um, a lot of recent Italian immigrants uh, that ended up falling victim to uh, mafia elements and organized crime elements, the way that those um, uh, extortionists sent their message to the community was through these public disposal methods. So you would have a barrel with a body left in it uh, on a street corner uh, on the side of a public roadway. So it's pretty typical going back at least over 100 years as far as a mafia signature. Yeah, I mean, whether it's um, blowing up Frank Rosenthal's car or or taking it back even even further back um, when you had Bugsy Siegel growing up and being part of a racket where the, a protection racket where they would uh, set fire to people's uh, businesses or, or fruit carts or whatever. Um, the mob is not exactly known for their subtlety, are they? No, they're not. And it's uh, it's interesting because. Probably one of the closest parallels that popped out to us that also had a Vegas connection uh, is there was a well-known mobster, Johnny Roselli, uh, that was the man's mob in Vegas before Spilatro came here. Uh, Roselli was operating in the 50s and 60s. Well, at any rate, uh, he ultimately found his way to Florida, uh, and he was about to testify to the U.S. Senate in relation to hearings looking into mob ties to plots to assassinate Castro, and then if that might have had any overlap in the Kennedy assassination, well, just a little bit before testifying to Congress, he went missing, and ultimately they found his body uh, in a barrel floating off of Miami. Uh, So that really popped out to us. That being said, despite their flair for not being subtle, they also have a pretty good knack at, uh, at keeping things hidden. Oh, well, I mean, this one was a little interesting in that it's been 40 years, uh, give or take, since this murder occurred and that barrel was dumped in Lake Mead. So you have sort of the push-pull. On one hand, you want to dispose of the forensic evidence, uh, make it harder to link anyone to this crime. But I guarantee you, in certain circles, people knew who that was in the barrel. And that word got around that if you crossed so-and-so in this town, you may end up at the bottom of Lake Mead, too. You have to wonder as well if some of the... Um the attention on this story and the surprise about this story comes from, I think people have this idea that um, when it comes to Las Vegas and it comes to the mob, there's all the stories about bodies buried in the desert, but nobody really gave a thought to uh, people being dumped in Lake Mead. I mean, from a mob side, sure, it just makes sense that you've got this giant lake and it's a great spot to dump people. But I wonder if, again, some of that uh, some of that surprise comes from the lore of holes in the desert. Well, I think so, yeah. And, uh, and that's not untrue. Uh, there certainly were plenty of mob-linked uh, abductions and, uh, you know, murders that occurred out in the desert. Uh, but I think this is definitely opening up a new um, area of exploration as to uh, the mob's tactics during the heyday of Vegas. It's been kind of hilarious to see some of the news stories that have popped up and people that have been interviewed about this situation. And it inevitably turns to whether or not they'll. It's been kind of hilarious to see some of the stories that have popped up on the news surrounding this whole situation and people that are being interviewed who are saying, well, you know, I've been swimming and boating in Lake Mead for years. And this this kind of gives me pause as to whether or not I just want to dive right into the lake again anytime soon. 
<laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, all lakes have their uh, secrets, I suppose. <laughs> So, I mean, is there, I mean, you guys have done pretty extensive research into, into Vegas crime and, and crimes in and around the area. And you guys have covered a fair bit uh, with the mob. I mean, what do you think the over under is on how many more of these barrels they're going to pull out of Lake Mead over the next couple of years, if the lake continues to decline in level? Well, it's tough to say. Um, One um, item that we're researching right now is exactly that uh, about the bodies out in the desert. Uh, how much is, you know, there's obviously a factual background to it, but how much of that is a little overblown myth? How much of it is the reality? And so we're pretty early in the research, but what we see so far is in the late 90s, uh, Las Vegas police detectives said on average they would find about two or three bodies, uh, homicide victims that had been disposed of in the desert. So those are only the victims they're finding, and you extrapolate that uh, over the decades. I mean, there's potentially a lot of folks out there. And I know I'll never forget having a, a ride with a cab driver one time, and we got talking about bodies in the desert. I don't even know how we got on that topic, but somehow we <laughs> did. I think I might have even been on the way to the mob museum, and we were talking about it. And, and he commented and said, nah. There's not that many bodies out in the desert. It's too hard to dig holes. By the time you finish digging a hole in the desert, you need to dig a hole for yourself because you'd be dying of old age. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe he knew something. I don't know. <laughs> well, the uh, the ground here in Las Vegas is notoriously hard to dig in, but it is also a very big desert out there. So I'm imagining you can find the right type of ground. Um, you guys continue to work on new material for the website, uh, for the blog mayhem in the desert. Um, other than these stories and the, the bodies of Lake Mead, um, anything else of interest that you guys are, are currently working on right now? Um, sort of parallels with what we're just talking about. Uh, we did a little bit of research into, uh, the founder of, uh, notorious Las Vegas strip club, the crazy horse Two, uh, named Tony Albanese. Uh, He went missing after uh, leaving his house to go for a business meeting. Uh, And they ultimately did find at least his head out in the desert uh, of California. But it's interesting because that was sort of happenstance. I think just off-roaders were out there and found the remains. So Albanese easily could have been another type of mob-tied figure that just went missing and we had no idea whatever happened to him. Again, you know, circling back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, it's absolutely fascinating to me how the mob can go from one end of the murder spectrum to the other in that you've got bodies that are being dumped in the bottom of Lake Mead or buried out in the California desert in the hopes that they are never discovered ever again to something like the murder of Bugsy Siegel, which this year marks 75 years since he was shot to death in a gangland style murder in his, in his home in California, a murder, which by the way is still unsolved. It really is. Again, it's just fascinating to me how it goes from one extreme to the other. It it just amazes me. Well, it does. And uh, the most recent uh, article we actually published uh, had some ties to organized crime and it was about uh, old gangsters never die. They just uh, sort of end up fading away in Las Vegas. Uh, this fellow named uh, Sam uh, Manorit, he was a Genovese family capo, uh, just in and out of prison throughout his entire life. And he spent most of his time here in Las Vegas, uh, loan sharking, threats, 
uh, dabbling in uh, chip cashing scams at uh, off strip casinos, you know, all, all sort of good mafia uh, endeavors. Uh, at any rate, he finally was released from prison in 2001 at age 82. So sure, the police knew who he was, but they figured, well, this old timer, he's, he's no threat. He's nothing to worry about. Uh, well, one day he went into an auto dealer uh, here off of Main Street and uh, some dispute occurred. Uh, the owner was unfamiliar with his organized crime background, and uh, Springfield Sam, his nickname, pulled out a 357 and just started shooting. Uh, so it was a little bit of a Wild West scenario. The uh, owner also happened to own a firearm and returned uh, fire and hit Springfield Sam in the shoulder. Uh, and just to show you how mafia ties uh, never die, even in old age, at his preliminary hearing, the two key witnesses for the prosecution still failed to show up. Uh, so Sam ended up only doing two years uh, after reaching a plea agreement on those attempted murder charges. Unbelievable. It just, it never seems to end in that city. Does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And it makes you wonder. He was certainly the last of a certain breed of Las Vegas mobster, but organized crime didn't go away. And uh, it is notoriously uh, inclined to stay secret and operate a little above uh, ground or uh, below ground. Uh, so it makes you wonder what's out there right now. Well, I mean, you look at somebody like the the late Frank Collada, who was a, a, a Lefty Rosenthal associate, was a close associate of Tony Spalatro, member of the Hole in the Wall gang. He just passed away back, I want to say, in late 2020, early 2021 that he passed away. And I mean, you look at what he went through with his life and he served time and, and um, moved back to Las Vegas and lived his life quite openly as a former mobster. And, and even though at the end of his life, he wasn't really directly involved with organized crime, you still kind of got the feeling that he was still somewhat connected. He was. Uh, we heard from someone that took a tour, I guess, that he would give around town of the old mob sites uh, that he was just the most charming individual you could imagine uh, a gentleman mobster, I guess. Anthony, I, I don't want to say that I'm excited uh, about this situation, but at the same time, I am a little bit excited. I'm a little bit anxious and, and I'm very curious to see um, what the future of this whole thing is. And I think it's going to be a, a very interesting time for the city of Las Vegas and, and looking back on, on the history of the city. I think so. And it's um, also an interesting time when they discovered it. Um, I'm pretty confident they're going to eventually identify who this individual in the barrel was. Now, identifying the murderer, that I don't know about. Um, but we recently went to a crime convention they had here at uh, the Paris Las Vegas. Um, and we uh, were fortunate enough to meet a genetic testing lab out of uh, Houston, Othram Labs, uh, and they helped solve some cold cases here in Las Vegas in recent years. Uh, they were going through that nowadays, I guess, just with a minuscule amount of 100 cells or so, you can make a DNA, DNA identification. Uh, so it seems that in time, they'll figure out who this body was, and then maybe they can start tracing out some of the links from there. We're certainly going to be keeping an eye on it. Um, it's been all over our local news. And like you said, it's everywhere from the New York Times to British Canadian press. So everyone is fascinated by it. 
Anthony, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you back on to uh, have a chat about this. And uh, if there are any further developments, I hope we can get you back on for another conversation uh, to discuss this uh, very bizarre situation. Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll reach out uh, first uh, if we find out anything else. If you want to learn more about Vegas's true crime past and the darker side of Sin City, visit MayhemInTheDesert.com. And be sure to follow Mayhem in the Desert on Facebook and Instagram at Mayhem in the Desert or on Twitter at Vegas True Crime. And of course, you can find all these links in the show notes at JeffDoesVegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. Walker New Media.